Hey there, my friends. Welcome to the Links to Messiah podcast, where we are passionate about teaching our children all about the connections between the Old and New Testament. I'm your host, Rachel Links Kushner, also known as the Chief Enthusiasm Officer of Links to Messiah. And I am so thrilled to have you join us today. Come along and discover how your family and children can grow in their faith as you discover the beautiful links that God reveals throughout Scripture about the history of His people and His Son, Jesus, our Messiah. So this is my friend Janelle. Janelle is a Jewish believer in Jesus, and she is a faithful servant of God. She is a friend, and we had the pleasure of raising our children together. I can recall our kids riding bikes, playing on playgrounds, taking trips, and making Hanukkah menorahs together with our kids out of paint stirrers and bolts. You just mailed me that photograph, and I love seeing our kids engaged in that activity. I treasure it. So thank you, Janelle, for being here. I really appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. So let's just dig right on in. So let me ask you this. I mean, obviously, this is just a conversation. I know we have some formal questions, but we'll keep it conversational. But as a believer in Jesus, I want to know from you why you think it's important and what is the value of teaching our kids the Old Testament? Well, certainly to, to show our kids the continuity of our family heritage with our Christian faith that we're walking out day to day in, um, for us in a typical Christian church, you know, Christian life in America doesn't always reflect the Jewish roots of our faith. So with um, a very Jewish last name, people sometimes are confused that we're even in a church for starters. So we wanted our kids to have the um, rich heritage to be able to answer that question and to just see that Jesus was Jewish and God kept his promises to the Jewish people by sending a Messiah. Um, so we just see the continuity of the, the story and wanted to convey that to our kids. Of course, absolutely. It makes perfect sense. One of the things, too, that I personally like about teaching the Old Testament is there, it's very rich in moral and spiritual teachings. I know that's nothing new to you, but I think that kids can learn those valuable lessons from uh Characters from both positive and negative things that happen, stories like Joseph's integrity and Moses's leadership and David's repentance and all of those kinds of things just provide these important lessons in character and in faith. Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, our daughter Ruth loved the story of Esther and wanted to have that in her nursery school lessons. But the, the poor teacher didn't have that in her curriculum, so she couldn't grasp why that would be important to um, a preschooler. I, I was baffled. You know, um, you know, our kids pick their favorite Bible stories. Our son loved the story of our in judges of Ehud because um, he was left-handed, and our son was left-handed. So many nights he would want that Bible story at bedtime, which people forget is even in the Old Testament. But um, right. things like okay. that are just fun to share with your kids that are a little bit deeper maybe or or out of the ordinary Bible stories. Yes, I love that. So Aaron liked that story because Ehud was left-handed. Ehud? Ehud. Okay. <laughs> probably E-H-U-D. So you're probably saying it more properly. 
I'm not sure. And Ruth wanted her preschool teacher to teach her about the book of Esther. That's incredible. Um, so let me let me ask you about some memories that you might be able to share. Do you have like personal um, experiences or stories when you were teaching your kids about the Old Testament? You shared some already, but thinking about the Jewish feasts and how has that brought you closer as a family? The big obvious one is to have a Passover Seder as a family, which we were able to do for many years, still do, in fact, with another family. They approached us and said, will you share with us your heritage of the Passover Seder? So they really got us interested to to properly celebrate, if you will. And we had three generations of our family and their family celebrate annually still um, come together and have a full Seder so that when their kids and our kids are in church and celebrating communion, they know it's part of a bigger picture. It's not just a cracker and a cup of juice. They know that this is the culmination of a Passover Seder and it has deep, deep meaning and great symbolism. You talked about our Jewish traditions having great moral lessons. I think it's got great object lessons too, the things you can touch and smell and feel and eat. Um, it, It just means so much more than just this snack you have at church once in a while. And I, no, don't disrespect intended to what we do today. We need to remember, you know, the Lord told us to remember um, and, and have the Lord suffer that way. But knowing that it comes from something else is, is a great tragedy. Absolutely. It just makes everything feel um, deeper, richer, like you said, connect, connected to that heritage and understanding the why. Why are we having this cracker, this piece of matzah and juice. What is that all about? And to share that with um, my in-laws who were not believers in Jesus, but had their own experiences growing up with the Seder, for us to say, oh, this is what Jesus did with his disciples, you know, just plants those seeds with them also and seeing, oh, we do this in church, but only a part of it, you know, trying to draw them into our current worship experience was you know an extension of that celebration in the home. Well, that's awesome. I mean, that's one of the things that I love about all the Jewish holidays is that they are intergenerational. We're sitting around a table, we're having a meal, we have babies, we have aunties, we have cousins, we have grandma and grandpa, and I love it. It's so fun. Hey friends, I am interrupting this podcast for just a quick moment. I wanted to let you know that we have a lot of free resources available for you over at linkstomessiah.com. If you click on the resources tab, you're going to find a lot of goodies. We have a blog and we have a story time where I love to read some wonderful books out loud for your children. And we always have seasonal free activities. So head on over to linkstomessiah.com. You can check out all the goodies. You can also easily hop over there by looking at the show notes. And now back to the Links to Messiah podcast. Well, let's let's jump ahead a little bit. We know in the fall, we have the high holidays coming up. We have Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish New Year. And then 10 days later, we have Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the holiest day in the Jewish calendar. And then we have Sukkot, which is what I want to talk with you about today. So I guess before we jump into that, let's just make sure anybody listening understands what Sukkot's all about, that it's um, a very joyous festival in the Jewish calendar, and we celebrate the abundant harvest that has 
been provided by the Lord that we've gathered. And we know it's called the Feast of Tabernacles. It's a seven-day celebration commemorating God's protection and providing for the Israelites as we were moving through slavery in Egypt. And during Sukkot, as you know, Jewish families, we build a sukkah, which is a temporary shelter or a hut. And so for seven days, we treat that sukkah like a home away from home. It's a dwelling place. And we can read about it, Leviticus 23, John 7, Jesus celebrates the Feast of Tabernacles. But in modern times, I've been learning more about this holiday as well. Jewish people really look at Sukkot as a chance to get outside, to live more simply, and to just really free themselves of material possessions. So there's this focus and appreciation of what's most important in life. So did you celebrate Sukkot growing up or with your kids? Interesting. Growing up, I did not. But um, my first exposure, oddly enough, um, the street I grew up on had a temple at the end of it. And across the street from that temple was a Baptist church. So um, it just, we'd see people going to temple. And my first exposure was seeing a, um, a sukkah down in the parking lot and asking my parents, what is that? Why are they doing that? So that, you know, I saw that. It was a curiosity. And then as our kids were growing up, we had a neighbor a um, couple doors down, um, this couple were Jewish believers in Jesus, and they put a sukkah in their um, patio. So they invited us over, come in, help us decorate, have a meal with us. And and that was a joy to be able to celebrate with them. We've often talked about building a sukkah, but we never did because we're not too uh, handy construction-wise. But there is the just go outside and eat your dinner and remember, um, or one last chance to go camping, those kinds of things at that time of year. Or Sukkot was um, put into the Jewish calendar when the Jewish people were in an agricultural society, and we're far removed from that now. Um, But the idea of harvest, we we just don't think about that. But it was an in-gathering of of the last chance, take all the, you know, last last chance to bring all the goods in and Mm -hmm. celebrate that. That God had given us a good year. Yeah. And isn't isn't there something just so beautiful and amazing about being outside and being under a sukkah and eating and being with your family? It is a really very special I, I I've experienced it and I've loved it. It's just been very meaningful for me. So let's let's jump in, let's dive even a little deeper and talk about these sukkah booths, these temporary dwellings. So how would you incorporate that theme into your teachings or even into your thinkings about Jesus's earthly life and his ministry? Good question. Um, And the whole idea that God did give Moses a tabernacle and a pattern of of where he wanted to dwell for the Israelites as they were traveling through the wilderness. And then um, when that was no longer being used and Solomon built a physical temple, you know, kind of solidified that temporary dwelling and made it permanent, but that even didn't last. So God sent Jesus, a, you know, a being to dwell with us, to dwell within us. We're almost a temporary dwelling for the Holy Spirit you know, now. Mm. All that, um, that pattern kind of repeats. The Lord wants a place to show his glory. He wants to indwell us. He, mm. You know, he, he wanted to indwell with the the whole nation of Israel, and and there was failure, there was sin, there was um, him to start again. And he sent 
Jesus as the new covenant. And when um, Jesus died on the, the cross, the temple veil was torn. Like the, there's no more boundaries, no more veil. We can see him face to face. We don't have to stand behind the tent if it was, as if it were. So we can see him. Um, I see a lot of those similarities that we what you were thinking of. Yeah, I think that's mm-hmm. such a great explanation of that little bit of history that is so important about, you know, God leading the Israelites through the desert. And I think about um, how he was that pillar of fire at night. The other thing too, like you were saying that this is our temporary, like our bodies are temporary. We're just, we're just sort of passing through. <laughs> and I also, I, I think of that verse from John about the word becoming flesh dwelling among us. I've been thinking a lot about that word dwelling and what does that word mean? I looked it up to to try to understand it and what I learned was it was it means to be and to live. Dwell means to be and to live. So to abide, to sit, to remain. Mm-hmm. One interesting thing I found about Jesus celebrating to coach was figure out where I am. In John 7, that he talks about living water being poured out. You know, we have the ingathering of the the harvest, but there was also this eighth-day celebration of water being poured out, and this is a celebration of, we've got something to drink, I guess. You know, again, I'm removed from agricultural life, so I don't really know. But, um, yeah, Jesus goes up and feast around about verse 37 on the last and greatest day of the feast, which would have been day eight. Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures said, streams of living water will flow from within him. One of the things that I've been learning about, just as you're talking about that, is that on that last day, the priest would take a container of water and pour it on the altar as a symbol of hope for the coming rain. About that, um, with the water, um, and Jesus saying the the significance of him saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come and drink. That's satisfying our our most deep need that we have. All these symbols are just beautiful reminders of of our need for him, but how, how he does provide, like you said. Absolutely. So thinking about Sukkot and understanding its historical context, cultural significance. How do you think that enhances a family's understanding of Jesus's mission and his message? And we've we've talked about that already, but is there anything else that you can think of? Yeah, and you're just if you're following along in the Jewish calendar, along with the school year, or, or you know, you're supplementing with, I don't know, maybe somebody's teaching a Sunday school lesson for kids, you can um, follow that pattern in, in scripture and on the, the calendar routinely. And just each year, it builds more memory for the kids. They can anticipate those things and learn a little bit more each year. And, um, you know, oh, I remember this from last year. And, and they can start telling the story, too, um, as they grow. We homeschooled our kids um, during, you know, years. Some of them all the way, well, one of them all the way, and the other two um, ended up in school by the end. But um, when our oldest was in high school, we developed a half-year Jewish fest, uh, Jewish traditions kind of class for her to have a half credit of religion or Bible, but it was all on the Jewish traditions and that she got to dive into on her own of what is Rosh Hashanah, what is Yom Kippur, what is Sukkot, what is Hanukkah for, why are all these things pointing to Jesus? And she's not very useful. Um, oh, helpful. I know she has. 
Yes. Well, for those of you listening, I will tell you a little behind the scenes uh, of Links to Messiah that Janelle's daughter, Ruth, who is the same age as my daughter, Sarah, has done so much behind the scenes work with Links to Messiah. And she's so gifted. She says, well, uh, you know, here's what I'm really good at. I'm good at making words look pretty. So oh. she does all of the inserts and designs Enjoy. them. They are beautiful. And people tell me they hang on to those and they refer to them. They they are well read. Yeah, you planted, you guys planted that seed in her, you know, as a child. And here she is as a young adult woman still doing all those wonderful traditions. Okay, so let me just wrap up with a final question. I know we've touched on this, but is there anything else that you would want to add about embracing those Old Testament traditions and how that might enrich a family's understanding of Jesus and just strengthen a personal faith in Jesus the Messiah? Well, for our family, um, we were I guess, in the minority in our mainline church. So the fact that we were Jewish believers in Jesus was not um, commonly known in our congregation, which is probably 800,000 people. So our church didn't recognize a lot of the Jewish traditions. It was something we practiced and um, talked about at home, but our kids could share that with other kids and um, both unbelieving Jews in the neighborhood or their kids and you know, friends in Sunday school. Like, you know, our kids would play in the yard and they say, yes, Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. It's fine to believe in Jesus and be Jewish, you know, because we did, you know, they were totally confident in this. Um, you know, we, as a family, thank God they were secure enough to, to speak up like that. Or even in Sunday school, they knew a lot more answers and could go a little bit deeper than some of the other kids because of what we talked about at home and the idea that we had this rich history. Our grandparents brought this and, and you know, way back to Moses and this is yeah. our people. You know, I guess it, it just more of a connection to what we were actually reading. Yeah, it just, I think what I'm hearing you say, it just makes it sort of come alive in a, in a, in a new and rich way. And I think I just love the idea of your kids outside just saying, yes, Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, because that's what they grew up learning and knowing in, yeah, in practical ways and then in celebrating holidays, everything. It's just, that's wonderful. But they read, so they believed it. That's right. God was working in their hearts when they were little. Well, thank you, Janelle. Appreciate your time and appreciate your friendship. And just, you've been um, a great friend to me over the years. Makes me choke up but we'll end it there. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for being a part of the Links to Messiah podcast family. Your support means the world to us and your feedback and engagement keep us going strong. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and share this podcast with your friends and family. Let's continue growing this incredible community together. Until next week, keep reading the Bible to your children keep their curiosity burning, and keep coming back for more tips to anchor your child's faith to Jesus, our Messiah. This is your host, Rachel Links Kushner, signing off with a big smile and a heart full of gratitude.